0: The Bible says that God offers you weapons to claim victory in any circumstance. The name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the word of God, the full armor of God. You've likely heard of those. But there are other powerful weapons that you may not be aware of. So let's explore my favorite five. This is the Shut Up Devil Show. And I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life. And I'm here to do it every Thursday with a live online audience. So join me sometime live at 8 p.m. on Thursdays at kylewinkler.org live. Okay, let's start with a couple scriptures back to back from the Apostle Paul. First one's going to be 2 Corinthians. Chapter 6, verse 7, we use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. Second scripture, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, talking about attacks to do with the mind, Paul says we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. I bring up these two verses because they contain a couple clues regarding our victory over both physical attacks and those more emotional and psychological ones. The first clue that should be most obvious is that Paul says, weapons, plural. Not just weapon, weapons. And really all throughout Paul's letters. When he talks about how to battle spiritual attacks, he always references what we have at our disposal in the plural. God has given us different devices to ensure victory in specific situations. So as I said in the introduction, some of the most talked about weapons are the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the word of God. They are foundational, hugely important. I go through those in my Divine Dynamite series, and undoubtedly, if you've been a Christian for at least a little while, you've probably heard of the full armor of God. It's in Ephesians 6, and that armor includes belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and again, the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. So there's plenty of teaching on those, too. I have an entire e-course on them where I go through what they mean and how to apply them in your life. But there are more weapons that rarely, if ever, get talked about, at least talked about as weapons. That's why I call them unusual weapons. Now, before we get into my favorite five, the second clue about weapons is that Paul calls these all weapons of righteousness. What does that mean? A lot of people are confused about this. They think that the word righteousness has to do with what they do. They confuse it with perfection or sinlessness. And so they try to defeat the devil with a bunch of effort or trying to be perfect. But righteousness isn't perfect living. Righteousness is the perfect identity of Christ Freely given to you when you place your faith in him. Righteousness, as far as we're concerned, is a gift that makes you right in God's sight. That's Romans 3.22. I'm not going to go in depth about that. This isn't a righteousness teaching. But Paul goes to great lengths in the New Testament to defend that righteousness isn't achieved by works, but received by grace through faith. That's Ephesians 2.8-9. That means that none of these weapons of our warfare are weapons of willpower to defeat the devil in your own strength. They are spiritual, supernatural weapons that help you stand in the victory that Jesus already won. As I said on my last podcast, and I say so often, God doesn't give us weapons to fight a devil who is defeated, but to help us stand in the victory of the one who defeated him. That's a foundational principle that you have to know when we talk about a topic like this. By God's grace, we defend ourselves from the winning side, from the winning position. And every weapon that God gives us to that end is a weapon of righteousness. It's a gift of grace. So, let's talk about the first unusual weapon, which is joy. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your
1: strength. Now the clue to what this means is how it's talked about in the context in Nehemiah. Nehemiah
0: 8 verse 10. It really tells us What this means for joy to be a weapon and how to apply it in our life. So, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8.10 is part of the story of God's people Israel. After they had come back from Jerusalem and found it in ruins and their temple destroyed. They battled disappointment and depression because their most prized place was wrecked and ransacked. So, eventually, the leaders all got together called for a public reading of God's Word. And at the end of it, that's when Nehemiah said, don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now here's the thing. The people didn't feel happy or like celebrating. They felt depressed and discouraged. So don't confuse joy with just a feeling, not right away. I think it gets there. I think God wants to bring us into happiness, but don't don't confuse joy with the feeling of happiness right away. First, they decided to celebrate victory while everything still
1: looked, felt, and sounded very bad. But as they took the step of faith to celebrate, because that's what Nehemiah told them to
0: do. He goes, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He told them to take a step of celebration. So as they took that step of faith to celebrate, that's when the joy of God's victory, of God's faithfulness over their circumstances took over and delivered them of the depression that they were paralyzed with. This weekend, I spoke at a church in St. Louis, Missouri, and I heard a great true story that really illustrates this well. A church secretary came into to a pastor and said, we're all out of money. And he said, what do you mean? She said, like, we're out of money. Like, there is no more money left. And of course, the pastor's initial reaction was one of disappointment, unbelief, worry. What are you talking about? How can this be? Then he complained to God, what are we going to do, Lord?
1: That's when he heard the Lord say, laugh. What? The pastor asked the Lord, laugh? This is not funny. It's not a laughing matter. He didn't feel like laughing. Yet God said, just say, ha. So the pastor said, ha. God said, do it again. Ha, ha. So the pastor kept saying, ha, 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 ha
0: until something broke and he just started busting up laughing. He got God's joy, which shifted his attitude from, what are we going to do, Lord, to what are we going to do, Lord? The joy of the Lord brought him deliverance. Yes, it was in an unusual way, but that's why I said these are unusual weapons. You know, Psalm 37:13 says that the Lord laughs at his enemies. And he laughs because he knows that their attacks are child's play compared to the magnitude of his might. He laughs because their best efforts look like tinker toys in a tornado. The slightest whisper of God's breath tumbles them over. So I say whatever your situation is that you're facing right now, whether it's emotional, psychological, or physical, celebrate God. If you don't have a circumstance to celebrate, if you can celebrate nothing else, celebrate God even if you can't even crack a smile on your face, you're not expected to produce the joy yourself. This isn't about mustering up a feeling. It's God's joy from his victory, based on his character, that manifests in you as you simply celebrate who he is. He's the way maker, he's the promise keeper, the one in whom the battle belongs. Like Israel, you can declare, I don't know how this is going to be rebuilt, but I know God's going to rebuild it. I don't know how this is going to be restored, but I know God's going to restore it. Ha, devil. This is nothing compared to what God can do. That's where the joy of the Lord comes from. And that'll be your deliverance. Unusual weapon number two is rest. You know, sometimes it's implied that the more Christian you are, the more you're going to do, the more time you're going to put in, the more you're going to sacrifice. I think a lot of people have this idea that God is only pleased if they are Christian soldiers hustling day in and day out to save people
1: without any downtime. Got to save the world. It's all on my back. Yet rest is one of the most fundamental Principles of God. It's like part of his design for us, like from
0: the very beginning. In the creation story, humans were made on day six after all the work was done. Their starting point was rest. They were placed in the Garden of Eden. And Eden, as I often teach in Hebrew, means God's delight. So everything from their food, their protection, was provided for from a place of rest, from a place of delight. Matthew 11:28, 28, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest, not come to me and I'll give you more work. So literally, after you've done too much, your body forces you to sleep. I mean, your body requires this of you. This is all part of God's design so that it can rest and recover. And at that time, your body repairs cells, it heals itself, it grows muscles, it organizes your brain.
1: It balances your emotions. So much happens while you're resting, physically. So what does this have to do with
0: deliverance? Well, if you're fighting a bad mood, or you're fighting fogginess, or a lack of motivation, those might not be the devil at all, actually. But your body telling you it's time to take a break or get some sleep. Funny enough, even in studying for this message, I just came back from a weekend of speaking engagements. I usually take the day after travel to rest. This time I didn't entirely do that. I went into making notes for this message. And I just battled the motivation to study. I was very distracted. I felt passionless at times. Well, I've realized over the years that when I feel those things, it's not a sign that I need to quit. And it's often not anything from the enemy, really. It's a sign that I need to rest. My body is simply saying, take a break. And so that's what I did. And I came back the next day after a good night's sleep and I felt renewed. Physical rest can provide you instant deliverance from physical symptoms, whether it's anger or bad attitude or demotivation. But rest is also crucial for the more psychological things like insecurity, shame, or feeling not good enough. When you feel anything like that, the solution is to rest in the truth of the gospel, that God is pleased with you
1: because of your belief in what Jesus did. You get God to be pleased with you because God is pleased with Christ. And you've put your faith in Christ, so it's, it's accredited
0: to you rest in the truth that you don't have to perform your way to proving why you are qualified enough to receive something from God, from healing, provision, protection, God's affection. The Bible says in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. If you are in Christ, God's answer to his promises for you are yes and amen. That's what that means. They're a done deal. You don't have to work to get them. And I'm telling you, the rest that comes from knowing that well, that's the kind of rest Jesus was talking about when he said, Come to me and I will give you rest. Nothing compares. Nothing delivers as instantly as resting in what Jesus did.
1: Okay, unusual weapon number three love. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul. Speaks to Roman Christians
0: who lived in a culture of idolatry and promiscuity. You know, today people think things are bad in government and in culture, and it was bad back then, too. The Romans were known for cheating people out of their money. They worshipped many gods in very crazy ways. There was a time or a place for the Christians to wage a culture war. This time in Rome would have been it, or at least
1: one of the times and places. So that gives you just a little bit of a background of what Paul says in
0: Romans 12, 20 through 21. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Verse 21, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Another way that you could say it, which Paul really alludes to if you read that whole passage, is love people. According to him, and really according to Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, love is the greatest good, and it's the greatest way to show that you are godly. I'm going to try and say this very gently. No doubt there is evil in this world. No doubt there's a lot of godlessness. I'm not condoning anything. I'm not saying we should like it. But it's not our job to fight it all. It's not the Christian's job to force God's ways on a godless society. Now, don't stone me yet. Okay, hear me out. When we try to do that, force biblical principles on people that don't understand anything spiritually, when we try to mandate Christianity, we end up creating more of an us versus them culture that keeps people from knowing the only agent for real change, it keeps people from even wanting to have anything to do with it. You cannot expect unsaved people to understand biblical principles. God never calls us the bodyguards of Christ. He calls us the body of Christ. He doesn't ask us to defend him. He asks us to demonstrate him. And I know that sounds backward from how change naturally happens. But the miracle of what God does is that when you demonstrate his heart toward people, as Paul said there in Romans, By feeding your enemies and blessing those who curse you and praying for those who persecute you. As you demonstrate God's love, He does the change in the people from the inside out. See, we try to force the change ourselves with a bunch of do's and don'ts. But only God can change people. And we help be the agent for that change simply by demonstrating His love. As the scripture says, it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. So please take it from someone who's been there. I used to think that I was part of the holiness police. I inspected everyone and tried to get them to live up to a whole bunch of standards, and it didn't change anyone. In fact, it had the opposite effect on some people. But when I finally started to extend God's grace and try as good as I possibly can, and I'm not perfect in it, but, but try to
1: love people and demonstrate His love... Well, God started to do a work in people that was real
0: and lasting. That didn't require me to babysit them because I felt like I was a spiritual babysitter for a long time. If I brought people into the faith, introduced them to the faith, then I thought it was my job to keep them in the faith. It's not. That's only frustrating me. It was my job to love them and God does the rest. So I'm telling you, Culture changes when we demonstrate God's love to people one person at a time. And in case you're asking, well, how do I love people like God? What does that look like? Well, beyond blessing those who curse you and praying for those who persecute you, Paul describes it in Romans 12:15. He says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think
1: that you know it all.
0: Uh Uh-oh, and I love verse 18 here. He says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. At the time Paul wrote that, Christianity was a very small group of people out of like a million people in Rome. Eventually, Christians became the majority in Rome. And scholars will tell you it isn't because they fought the government or were at war with culture, but it happened because they showed God's love to
1: people who were different than them. Okay. Unusual weapon number four, your story. The Bible calls the
0: enemy the accuser. Most of you know that, as I teach in my Shut Up Devil book. His accusations and the beliefs that they create in you are at the root of most of your battles. To accuse you, he uses your weaknesses, inadequacies, flaws, failures, to say that you don't deserve this, you aren't good enough, God can't even use you. And this then creates the insecurity and the shame and mind games that we battle. Well, speaking of the accuser, Revelation twelve eleven says that they have, speaking of us, Christians have defeated the accuser by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. A testimony is the story of what
1: happened. A Christian testimony includes two parts. What you've been through,
0: or how you were, and how Jesus changed that. And it has tremendous power against the enemy in your life. You see, the devil uses your past regrets and present struggles to keep you from telling your story. He tries to put a fear in you that says, if you tell this part of what you've been through or what you're going through, people will disqualify you, you'll get rejected, maybe God won't even love you. He'll say things like, "You can't tell someone that you were once addicted because then they won't trust you." Or "You can't tell anyone. don't let anyone know that you struggle with depression because they won't see you the same."
1: He's got a million reasons why you should be quiet about anything having to do with your story, past or present." But as long as you keep quiet, he remains in power over you so that he can manipulate
0: you to do or not do things all so that
1: people don't find out the truth.
0: Well, that's not the free life that Jesus died to give you, being a puppet to the enemy, but knowing the gospel. Knowing that Jesus died to make you right despite what you've done or still battle, that's what gives you the courage to share. And when you finally open your mouth and say, here's where I was or here's where I am, well, that takes a needle to the power of the enemy's threats or accusations. The person who has no secrets has all the power and all the freedom. I'm not saying that you have to tell the world everything about you, but as I often say, there is healing in the revealing, even if it's just a person
1: or two. Like instantly, the weight will come off. Okay.
0: The fifth and final unusual weapon is your mindset. 1 Peter 4, verse 1 Peter is speaking to Jewish Christians who face persecution, and he says, So therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking as Jesus. This isn't Peter telling us to expect persecution or troubles today. What Peter's saying here is that when you do face trials, troubles, or persecution, or anything bad, you have to think about them the same way Jesus did, which is that they are the work of the enemy, not the
1: hand of God, and not because God's mad at you. Now, certainly every trouble that Jesus
0: faced was unfair to him. You think that your troubles are unfair? Jesus was sinless. He definitely didn't deserve what he got. He didn't deserve the rejection. He didn't deserve the persecution. But in all the unfair treatment he received, he never once, never once, took a victim mentality. He never once blamed God. Even knowing what he had to go through, he never questioned God's goodness at any point along the way. And that's my challenge to you. If there's one mindset of victory for you to have, it's God is good. The world might not be good. What happens to you might not be good. People might not be good. Those are realities, yes.
1: But greater still is the reality that God is good. It's the ultimate reality that God is good. And definitely, you simply cannot or
0: won't even want to overcome anything if you believe that God is the one who gave it to you, probably, or you'll remain disappointed or bitter at God.
1: And the enemy wants to hold you hostage with that. Don't let him. I like to proactively think and declare,
0: God is good and I am good with God. God is good and I am good with God. God is good and I am good with God. And that is the truth. What you are going through is not the hand of a bad God or a mad God, but the hand of your good God will get you through. And you have to know that. You have to believe that. You have to have that mindset. Nothing throws a bomb in the devil's plans like someone with the mindset that God is good. So the five unusual weapons for instant deliverance. Number one, joy. Join God in laughing at how feeble the enemy's plans and attempts are compared to his promises and
1: might. Celebrate his character. Let that fill you with joy. Number two,
0: rest. Healing and repairment happens physically when you rest. And emotional and spiritual peace comes from resting in the finished work of Jesus. Number three, love. You aren't going to change people by fighting them or forcing them. People change by God's power when you demonstrate who He is to them, which is love. Number four, your story. Take the power right out of the devil's threats and accusations by sharing the story of how God delivered you or how He's upholding you.
1: And number five, your mindset, despite what you face despite
0: what's going on in you or around you. Know that you know that you know that you know that you are on the good side of your good God. Okay. Like I said, the Bible refers to the weapons of our warfare. And there are far more than these five that I just went through. Some of my other favorites to explore are the weapons that make up what Paul Calls the full armor of God. Really, these are some of the most foundational weapons because, as I explore in my e course on the armor of God, each of those six weapons that Paul mentions represents an aspect of who Jesus is and what you have in him, your identity in Christ, which is what keeps Satan silenced in your life. Here's more about that e course, and then I'll be right back. Are you in the middle of a mental, emotional, or spiritual struggle? Here's some good news. God has provided a way to beat that battle today. Yes, you have access right now to spiritual armor complete with six supernatural weapons that ensure victory in any circumstance. Ready to powerfully access and activate this armor? I've created an in-depth interactive e-course to show you how. The Armor of God eCourse includes six dynamic video lessons in which I reveal how to effectively use the weapons outlined in Ephesians 6 to radically shift from chaos to calm, fear to faith, sorrow to joy, and battle to triumph. It's an eye-opening, illustrated exploration of the Armor of God that unlocks all the victory Jesus died to give you. This e-course isn't just something you watch, but it's an immersive experience with which you interact. Each lesson includes a 16-minute video teaching, a lesson guide with reflection questions and application tips, and a discussion forum where I interact with you. The Armor of God e-course is available for you to join in on today. Simply visit kylewinkler.org/armor to get started. And because the six-lesson e-course streams entirely online. There's nothing you have to wait for to arrive. Begin instantly from any internet connected computer, tablet, or smartphone, and continue at your own pace from wherever you are. You no longer have to be under attack, but you can live on the attack. And I wanna show you the way. Join me now to discover how to access and activate the armor of God to beat your battles today. Visit kylewinkler.org armor to get started. And I'll see you there. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you. And we're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.